Turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 10. This whole particular passage is a warning by Paul of some coming, uh, coming apostasy, where people are turning away. And folks, one of the saddest things that I've noticed as I travel around sometimes in different churches is to see the, the turning away that has taken place. People that were in the church, people that used to be, they, they've gone somewhere else. Maybe they've gone to church that is a little more hip. You know what I mean by that? A little wilder music, a little this, that, a little this, that. But unfortunately, the doctrine's not there in many of those churches. And so he's warning about this. And, and I got thinking about this as I was reading a book by uh, uh, Dave Hunt and T.S. McMahon. I was rereading it. It's entitled The Seduction of Christianity. And a subtitle to that is Spiritual Discernment in the Last Days. And here in this passage of 1 Timothy 4, Paul warns, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, that's for now, Latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables. Exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that is now and in that which is to come, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. In this book by Dave Hunt and T.S. McMahon, they were warning about this apostasy that is taking place in many churches. They said this, The New Age movement is a broad coalition of networking groups all working for world unity based upon, now get this, based upon religious experience. And they go on to say, if it feels good, it must be good. So do it, no matter what the Bible may say. Many people who call themselves Christians will succumb to this deception and this great apostasy. This delusion will sweep through the professing church as well as secular society. Those who would escape the growing seduction must get back to the Bible and know what and why they believe. Now, you know, I had here, I don't know what I did with it. I had something here that would move that thing ahead. Did you take it when you left, Raul? Oh, there it is. Never mind. I found it. I can move this ahead. This is what I want to talk to you about, the sevenfold test of religious experience. Now, what Hunt and, and uh, McMahon said very simply was this. Number one, they said there's a growing apostasy that is based on false teaching and on a false religious experience. Number two, it feels good, it must be good, do it. Number three, to avoid this, professing Christians must know what the Bible teaches and follow it. Now again, I want you to notice that they said professing Christians. That's one of the problems. We have a lot of people that may be professing Christianity but don't really know Christ as Savior. They're not possessing. Um, I think 
in Matthew chapter 7, the Lord, the Lord warned about this, where he said, on the judgment day, many people will say, but Lord, Lord, didn't we do many wonderful things in your name, etc.? And he said what? I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So it's so important that we understand as believers today that we are in the book. We understand the word of God, know what it teaches, etc. Um, I think a good example of this, if I can move it to a blank one right a second, is a church in New York. Um, it's called the uh, Judson Memorial Church. It was built in 1988. No, excuse me, 1888. And it was built by Edwin Judson, whose father, Adoniram Judson, was one of the first missionaries to Burma. And he was building this in memory of his dad, Adoniram Judson. He even got John D. Rockefeller and others to help him build it. And it was a Baptist church, evangelical, fundamental, back then. But over the years, unfortunately, this church has allowed some things to change. They haven't held to the doctrine, the word of God. And so... On Flag Day not too long ago, they produced all kinds of things that a man by the name of Max Geldman of the National Review went to see these exhibits that they were putting on. And he said, I, I won't even write to you about them because they were so terrible, absolutely terrible. And the fact the police found out about it, they went in, investigated, then they shut the whole thing down. They said it was vulgar. It was wrong, indecent. It was just plain rotten. In that same church, not too long ago, a nude couple came out and ran across the stage during the worship of music. A nude couple. And the lady who is now the pastor of that church, Donna Shaper, some of the things that she said she wants to do for the future, this church doesn't need revival. This church needs salvation. But that's the kind of thing when apostasy gets into a church and begins to affect it because they get away from doctrine. So here's what I want to do. I want to remind us, first of all, that in the word of God, 1 Timothy 4.1 says, now the spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. There will be people in churches that are even professing to be Christians, but you'll see them start to fade away and get off into something else. You see, I tell my church this, whether we realize it or not, to the unsaved people, we can sometimes come across as boring. You know what I'm saying? Boring? Because why? We're not here to put on a show. We're here to worship God through music, and we're here to preach the word of God and let the spirit of God apply it to hearts and lives of people. That's not what some people want. They want to have things that tickle their ears. And that it goes on in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Paul said, prove all things. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits where they are God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So we just need to be careful. So I want to give you today a test you can take. A test, it has about seven different facets to it real quick, but you can use it to test whether what you are hearing or what you are feeling is consistent with the book. Is that fair? Amen? Do people say amen in this church? Is that okay? <laughs> amen. All right. So here we go. Number one, we want to test it to see if it's consistent with God the Father. God the Father. 
In Isaiah 42 and verse 8, it says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I will not give to another, neither my praise to carved images. Not going to let it happen, God says. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 and 5, most of you know those verses in part of the Ten Commandments. God warns, he said, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children, even to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. God acts for his glory, for his honor, and he resents and rejects and will deal with anything that is other than that. I want you to think about this. Having traveled in Brazil, I think of uh, Ralph Folsom. Having traveled around a lot in in, uh, Brazil and other places of the world that are primarily Catholic. And you will see, no matter where you go, you see these carved images of Mary or of Jesus, according to them, and so forth. And you'll see people coming up and kneeling down and bowing to it and praying and so forth. And if you were to ask them, are you having a religious experience? They would say, of course, yes. Very religious experience. Question, think about it. Is that a biblical religious experience? No, because God said you're not to bow down to any carved images of any kind. You're not to worship that. Worship God alone. But yet that kind of thing is going on, and many people are bowing down to other things Maybe not an image of Mary or of Jesus, but you'd be amazed what they bow down to. So the first thing you do is just to check. It does what I'm believing now, what I'm hearing now, is this truth consistent with the word of God and what I know about God the Father? Okay, got that one? Second, is this truth consistent with what I know about Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Okay, that's God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.18, I love that verse. Paul said that in all things he, Christ, might have the preeminence. That means to give him first place all the time in everything. The preeminence. Is what you are learning, is what you're being taught, is what you're feeling, is it consistent with what the Bible teaches us about Jesus Christ? If Christ is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Um. And by the way, there's a lot of things I run into today. I don't know why, but I keep running into people that have gotten involved in the charismatic movement. And uh, they look at me and they say, hey, pastor, why, why aren't you involved in that charismatic movement? You know why these people are experiencing the wonderful outpouring of the Holy Spirit and they're speaking in tongues. Well, I tell them jokingly at first, I have enough time speaking in English. Uh, But anyway. Why not? And uh, I think it's important that we remember what God said over in in, uh, John 16, 13, and 14. Listen. When he, the Holy Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself. In other words, he will not draw attention to himself. He shall, instead, he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He shall glorify me. Christ is talking. He said, the Holy Spirit is going to glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. What's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? To point us to Christ, to glorify him, not to draw attention to himself. 
And I'll get into this more just a little bit, but I want you to keep that in mind. So that when you run across some new truth, or you run across some new feeling, some experience, religious experience, ask yourself, is this in any way do away with the glory that should belong to God the Father and or to Jesus Christ his Son? That's a question for you. Then there's a third thing. Is this thing consistent with the Scriptures? How does it make me feel my attitude toward the Word of God? The as I said in the scriptures here in 1 Timothy 4, more and more people will turn away from the preaching of the word. They don't want to hear what God has to say about their sinful lusts or things like that. They want something that tickles their ears, etc. So it's important that we pay attention to this. Is it consistent with the word of God? I had a, a lady in my church at Bethany Baptist in uh, Kenmore, if you know where Bothell Kenmore is. Um, she was coming to my church professed to be a Christian, but somehow she had gotten tied up with the charismatics, and uh, she came and was really accusing me of not being very spiritual because I didn't get into that charismatic movement. And uh, so she asked me about it, and I said, well, let's look at what the Bible says. So I turned to three places in the book of Acts where you see actually speaking in tongues taking place. And I showed what that was and how it was and why it's important to understand it in each case. And then I turned them over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 14 to show what Paul talked about this speaking in tongues business and how that it is not consistent with today. It was back then before the Bible was complete, but today since we have the complete written revelation of the Word of God, we don't need this other kind of special ministry of the Holy Spirit to support the truth of God's Word. Okay, you with me? So I shared that with her and showed it to her, and she said this, well, I don't care what the Bible says. I know what I felt. I don't care what the Bible says. And this is what's so important to scriptures. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 and 4, what it says that. Um, 25 years ago, I don't know what I had coming up on my next slide. Maybe I better. Oh, that's what those verses say. But 25 years ago, I was working as a vice president at uh, Grand Rapids Baptist College and Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And about that time, there was a fellow that had come on the scene by the name of Rob Bell. Have any of you heard of Rob Bell? He became pastor of the Mars Hill Bible Church there in Grand Rapids. Uh, And suddenly, this thing was just seven or 8,000 people were going to it. And so we wanted to try to find out what was all about. Why was this so very special? Well, Rob Bell was teaching this. There is no hell. What? He said, oh, I've had a special revelation from God. Watch out. Had a special revelation from God where Christ, you see, went to the cross and he took all the sins of the world on himself paid for all the sins of the world. And so therefore, since he paid for them, there's no reason to go to hell, so everybody's going to heaven. So he just did away with hell. Right? A lot of people would like to believe that, then they don't have to worry about their sin. But you see, the Bible teaches that we were born with a sin nature, and we have alienated from God because of that sin, and that Jesus Christ went to the cross to die to pay the penalty for the sins of the world, but it's only applicable to those who by faith receive it. 
You see, if a guy by the name, what's his name from uh, Microsoft, Bill Gates, if he stood down here on the corner and he said, hey, I'll give $100 to anybody who come by and say, thank you, Bill, for Microsoft. I'll give you $100. Now, he's got enough money to give everybody in the United States $100. But it only goes to the people who come by and ask for it. And that's the way it is with Christ. But he began teaching this, and of course, thousands of people now are maybe going to hell because they believe a lie. It's not consistent with Scripture. So it's important that we look back, what does the Bible say? Um, I, I have another guy that I was going to quote too, but maybe I'll hold off on him, give him a break today. Okay. Let me just remind you of this. And the reason I do this is because I have right across the street from our church, just down at the corner, a very large Mormon church. How did the Mormon church get started? Based on what? Somebody tell me. Okay, who told him that? Where did he get the word from? An angel. What was his name? Moroni, you know? He got this information from an angel. So they started this whole doctrine on Mormonism based on what this angel said. Here's a verse for you. Galatians chapter 5. Whoops, I went past it. I thought I had it written in there. I didn't. I failed. My fault. Ready? It's found in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, if you want to jot it down. Galatians 1, 8. It says this. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul makes it very clear. It doesn't matter who's doing it. If it's contrary to the, what he had been giving to us by the Holy Spirit, watch out. Be careful. Then there's this next one, okay? Did you know that you yourself can create a problem for you yourself? In other words, all of us can have uh, feelings of grandiose, you know, and so forth. We feel better about ourselves. And we sometimes can get in the way of what God's Holy Spirit wants to do and say to us and communicate. And we'd like to have some special feeling, etc., that would make us feel really good. Um... I don't know if you've ever heard of Robert Tilton. I'm going to use him as an example. Robert Tilton years ago was one of the leading uh, prosperity gospel preachers. Prosperity, God expects you all to be rich. Did you know that? All you have to do is believe. And if you want to, you can send me $100, and I'll pray for you, and God will bless you 10 times over with that. Well, people were doing that. In fact, in one year, Robert Tilton made over $80 million from people sending him money, expecting to be blessed. I don't know if they ever got rich, but he sure did. Um, eventually, he was found out. But he would preach this. Now, listen carefully. We are to walk as Jesus walked. Do you agree with that? That's good. Walk as Jesus walked. Honesty, integrity, purity, etc., but then he went on to say, we were created by God to be the gods of this world. You don't have a God in you. You are a God. Wouldn't that make you feel pretty good? I'm not just Godwin. I'm God. <laughs> Build up the flesh, the old self. Be careful. 
be very careful. Well, Tilton, he got found out a little bit, and so he's not quite so popular. If he's still alive, I don't think he is. I don't know. But have you ever heard of Kenneth Copeland? He's on TV. He learned from Tilton. And he believes the same thing. He said, just as dogs have puppies and cats have kittens, so God has little gods. Until we comprehend that we are little gods and begin to act like little gods, we cannot manifest the kingdom of God. Well, that may make your flesh feel good, but it isn't consistent with Scripture. Well, there is only three people in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there's no Kenneth Copeland there, just three. So be careful what you hear and what you feel. I think a good rule to follow is this, if I can put this one in there. Uh, that's the, the word. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would do. Just remember, there's a battle going on all the time inside. The black fellow said, you know, it's like having a black dog and a white dog down inside of you. They're always fighting. And he said, which one wins? He said, whichever one I say, sick them to. And sometimes we're saying, sick them to the flesh, when we really ought to be consistent with the word of God. But remember this. Here's a good illustration to remember. Good rule. If this experience that you're going through or this new truth that you're being taught has served to humble you, it could be of God. However, it's given you a feeling of self-satisfaction and superiority. It's probably false and should be dismissed as from the flesh. Does that make sense? So just think that way about it, the flesh. The old self. Well, there's another thing. What about other Christians? How does this new truth or this new experience help you as far as your relationship with other Christians, other believers? Uh, these verses, I love these verses. Love one another, for the love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. We ought to love one another. And that means we ought to care for one another. We help one another. We are concerned about people that are hurting, whether it be physically, socially, and spiritually. We ought to be there to help them. But how many times has it happened in your church? I don't know, but in my church, it's happened every church I've been in. We'll have a family come in. We do everything we can to help them. Maybe they're even from out of the country. And we help them, get them settled, financially assist them. Uh, one, we bought a car for them. We all these things you do for them. But then they found another church that was more exciting because they did this and they, their music was wilder and they left. And so here we were expressing all this love, but for somehow they should have thought for themselves, if what I'm learning out there, it's affecting my love for my brethren here at this church, it ought to have an effect upon them. Right? So he's saying, check it out. Think about it. Is it affecting your relationship with other people? Um, uh, by the way, I've got to throw in one more thing. This is private. I've got older people in my church, just like you have some older people in your church. You know, sometimes older people, without realizing it, can be a bit of a hindrance in trying to reach new people because they are bored to death. Some of the old people in my church, I tell them, you're just waiting to die. I mean, they don't get in excited about anything for fear they have a heart attack, I guess. I don't know. But they can't even smile and act like Christian life is fun. 
I mean, joy in the Christian life. And so my wife and I pray all the time, as we grow older, don't let us grow old. You know what I mean? So that we're not a hindrance to other people that are maybe coming and looking for something that they ought to find in our churches, a church of joy, a church of blessing. There's a sixth test we can take, and it's about the world. John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away, but the lust of it, but he that does his will of God abides forever. The, f- the world. Let me, let me put it in a c- common thing. Without raising your hands, without acknowledging it, just think about this. Have you found, if you've been saved for, let's say, 40 years, something like that, have you found that 40 years ago, 35 years ago, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, you would never have done some things that you do now? And somehow your, your hatred of sin has become less as you get later on here in this, because our, our culture has changed. And our culture is accepting a lot of things that it didn't accept even 25, 30 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Is it possible that the world has begun to influence the church? It ought to be something that we evaluate carefully. Uh, love not the world. Someone wrote, all the water in the world, however hard it tried, could never sink a ship unless it got inside. All the evil in the world and the wickedness and sin could never sink the human soul unless it got within, inside. I, I like to ask myself some questions as I think about this. Maybe there's something I want to do. I want to go do. And I'll ask myself, okay, let me think about the most mature Christians in my church. Most of the mature Christians, would I expect them to be there? Would they be doing this thing? Would I expect to see my pastor there? Would I expect to see him doing this? Partaking of it? I just try, would, would I expect to see Jesus there? Could I witness for him there in that situation? Just to consider, am I letting the world influence me and my walk with God? A good question to ask yourself and think about it. Um, And that leads us to the seventh and the last one, okay? I'm going to get you out a little early. Didn't hear any amens, I'm surprised. Okay. (laughs) Last one is sin. How does this thing that you're doing affect your attitude towards sin? that you're involved in, that you're believing, you're, you're thinking this new truth, how does it affect your attitude towards sin? James 1, 14 and 15. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bring forth death. Sin. What's my attitude toward it? Um, I told you at the beginning that these people today are beginning to think this way, if it feels good, it must be good, so do it. But we need to ask ourselves, is it sin? Is it consistent with what I believe about the Word of God? Um, 
I'm going to conclude my message by doing this, okay? Because usually I speak for about 35, 40 minutes, and they put me on 30 minutes ago, so here we go. It was uh, back in 1997. 4,000 baseball coaches gathered together for the National Coaches, Baseball Coaches uh, Conference that they have every year back at Opryland. 4,000 baseball coaches from Little League, high school, college, major, minor leagues, major leagues. They all gathered, 4,000 of them. The speaker this year was a man by the name of John Scalosi. And he had been a, ba a baseball coach for about 45 years. John Scalosi. 78 years of age. He made his way to the platform when he was introduced. He had on some dark slacks, a blue shirt. He had string hanging around his neck, and attached to the string was a home plate. A home plate from the baseball field. Home plate. You know how shape, home plate? White, thoroughly white, home plate. So he's introduced with an applauding hand. You know, everybody had heard of him and known him. He came up and he spoke for about 25 minutes, never once mentioned this home plate. Everybody's beginning to think to themselves, he's 78, maybe he's cracked up. <laughs> Going crazy. But then he said, I'll just bet some of you are wondering about this home plate I'm wearing. And everybody kind of giggled, yeah, yeah. He said, well, I have some questions. He said, how many Little League coaches are we here in this auditorium? And in 4,000, there were a few that were Little League coaches, and they stood up. Yeah. He said, let me ask you, how wide is your home plate in the Little League? Kind of quiet. They didn't seem to know. And somebody said, well, I think it's 17 inches. That's right, 17 inches. All right, thank you. Be seated. How many high school coaches are there? They stood up. A lot of them. And he says, how wide is your home plate in high school? Somebody said, 17 inches. Right on, 17 inches. Give me a seat. How many college coaches? Oh, a lot of college coaches got up. How wide is your home plate? 17 inches. Minor league, how many? How wide is your home plate? 17 inches. Major league, 17 inches. And he said, let's take some of you college coaches. Supposing you had some pitchers that couldn't make it across the 17 inches. What would you do with them? Somebody yelled out, send them to Pocatello, Idaho. There's a big elite baseball training camp in Pocatello, Idaho. Oh, he said, no, I know what you'd do. You, you'd broaden it to, from 17 to 18 or 19 or, if you have to, 20, 21. Because you want to help them make the big, you know, the big team, so you'd just broaden the plate, wouldn't you? Everybody laughed. <laughs> no. No, we wouldn't do that. But he said, let me show you something. And he took the plate and he turned it around. And on the back side of it, he had drawn in the outline of a house. A house. He said, uh, you know, what was happening in many of our homes is that we're broadening the plate. We got kids that are doing things and there's no consequences for their doing things and acting up and we're letting them get away with stuff. And it's hurting our homes and dividing our homes and et cetera. How about if we put a, a let's put a, a, a flag on this. Instead of it being a house, it's now a school. What's happening in our schools? 
well, they're taking away from the teachers the right to discipline, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and kids are getting away with all kinds of things and there's no consequences, and our schools are in a big mess. Well, well, well let's take the flag off. Let, let's put a cross on it. How about our churches? We've all read just recently, if you read US, US, USA World Report or whatever it was, of a, of a Catholic priest that has been arrested, not for him his own sin, which he has done, but he has also helped 50 other Catholic priests that have been caught with messing with children. And they've simply taken it and hidden it under the rug and moved the priests around to a different parish, a different diet, so forth like that. Well, they got caught at it finally. It's a big mess within the Catholic Church again. But it's also what's happening in some of Baptist churches and others. Things that we're doing and there's no consequences for. In our homes, in our churches, in our schools, how about our government? When government leaders are voting for things for themselves that they wouldn't vote for us or requirements for us that they won't do for themselves and it's just a big mess. Trump calls it a swamp. But this is what's happening Many, many times. And Coach John just said this. I hope if you didn't learn anything else from my time with you, you've learned the importance of sticking to the rules. Consequences if you violate the rule. And folks, here's the rule book. And I just encourage you, as I encourage my church, Stick to the rules. And don't get sucked into anything else. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. We just pray that we might, as an individual, be consistently on guard against the attacks of Satan that would seek to draw us away from the truth. Bless this church, I pray, even as they are in the process of seeking a new pastor, leader, that they will find the man of your choosing, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.